Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. Uh, this is WTF. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. New people, don't hesitate to go to WTFpod.com slash guide to see who's been on the show. And then you can move from there. You can see the entire list of however many 600 and something episodes and then you can act accordingly and go find them you can listen to the most recent 50 uh anywhere you need to for free uh or you can go to um howl.fm to get the archive going all the way back all 600 and some odd ones but if you just need to know who's been on go to wtfpod.com slash guide check it out a lot of people a lot of people have been in here in this garage and that wasn't even really an ad it just came to my mind thinking about it Today, we have Crispin Glover on. Crispin Glover, I, I don't know how it happened, but man, he came over and, we, and he's, a, he's like um, a, a, a brilliant freight train of compulsive ideas and uh, philosophy and psychology. I, it was, I didn't know what was going to happen going in, but I knew I wanted to talk to him. He's an interesting guy. He, 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 he rolls in an interesting world. I think sometimes it's mostly in his head, but that's fine. I can certainly relate to that. So uh, that's happening in a few minutes. Uh, I have a nice lengthy conversation with, with, with Crispin Glover. He showed me a trailer of his uh, film he's working on. With his, uh, his dad is in it and he's in it. and he, he was just all lit up. And he came in and he's like, I, you want to see this? You want to have my, he pulled his computer out. He showed me this new trailer he had just uh, edited. He's also in a, in a movie, which I think is, is how we got him <laughs> or how he came up on the radar. He's currently in a movie called uh, Amy in a Cage, which is available now, streaming and on demand. But uh, he does a lot of things. He wears a lot of hats and, and many of them are gothic styled. Uh, he's he's into the old timey darkness and uh, it was good so so that's happening today me and crispin glover but the, the reason i bring up you know like the past person maybe is it the past looking back on on how many people have been on this show and how many people have been in this garage uh it's sort of fascinating but between you and me i don't always clean in here I just, I don't, you know, I'm a, I stack things, things come in, a lot of things come in, but I don't always, you know, I tidy up 
Occasionally, I'll, I'll do the vacuum and I'll wipe the floors down. But I'm about to start shooting uh, the fourth season of Marin for IFC. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm spinning out a little bit. So what do I do, you know, when I get, uh, you know, stressed or anxious or, or uh, frightened? Uh, well, one of the things that I do if I'm so driven, which is not all that often, is to fucking clean up. Like I've gotten into this situation here at the house where there, so many wonderful things are sent to me. A lot of artwork, uh, a lot of records. Uh, books some of them are sent personally some by you know publishers stuff gets stacked up you know and i got a lot of stuff in here and what i neglected to realize i kind of realized it but maybe i was in denial about it is the amount of fucking dust dude and dudettes the amount of dust i mean i had if if most if most dust is human skin if that's a truism I, I have had I have the skin of about 670 relatively some very famous people covering my garage. My garage is covered with a probably about or was about a millimeter of uh, many different skins. That sounds a little weird and gross, but it's got to be true. Now, now the thing is, is out here I'm, I'm in a garage and I've got it, uh, you know capped up the best i can i put what's not great you know i put a a floor in here i didn't really do it right these are platform floors definitely holes in it so also there's all these little spidey webs up in the corners and around in the bookshelves there were spidey webs everywhere i don't see that many spideys but there's spidey webs and they're they're not attractive you know they're just not attractive and i just kept putting it off man i kept putting it off and finally, you know, consumed by stress and a need for distraction, I got in it out here. I got in it on my knees with the deep clean. I moved the shit out, not all the books and stuff, but anything that wasn't sort of really heavy, I moved it outside to assess. So it's been an intense few days of stress cleaning, but the dust, man, the dust was fucking insane. So I'm like meticulously cleaning and, uh, you know, by the time I finish, new dust will start to... Uh, piling up but it got to the point in here where i was like is word out is word out that there that there's spidey webs in the garage because what what started to happen is that you know six years ago whenever the hell i started this thing and, and started amassing stuff and started moving my operation out here into the garage it had sort of a you know kind of a pseudo intellectual man cave vibe to it it was a collection and still is of everything from my entire life so that was kind of cool at first and it still is kind of cool to me i'm still comforted by it but if you don't clean it what happens is if people look closely it's like going into one of those it's like going into a a sad museum like a roadside museum that isn't really kept up well and the exhibits are kind of gross and they're a little dusty and some of the dust is you know, kind of been humidified a bit, so there's grime. So I was walking in my garage saying, this is pretty cool. And then, like, I'd look around, and I'm like, oh, no. No, it it, it, it looks sad. It, it looks like it's, it's sort of dying, like it's becoming a relic, like it's becoming just a, a <laughs> it, like some sort of um, tomb or mausoleum. Of, of of what I thought was important or what represented me and, and was not being kept up that well. So I, I kind of got paranoid. I'm like, you know, I don't want, I, I'd like people to walk in here and be like, oh, this is, this is kind of cool. Not like, ugh, 
Uh, I don't know what he's got going over there, but it's a little sad. So, needless to say, I've, 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 I've cleaned it up, and now it's alive again. I've been watching some of my screener movies, and uh, here's, what, here's what I know. is that I've watched The Revenant uh, once, and then like I went back and went through it to watch certain scenes again and again. That DiCaprio is impressing me. Not that that's anything, you know. Like, you know, it's hard. You kind of want to judge people, but like, I've seen him in public and talking. He's definitely got shit together, that guy. And he did a great job in that fucking movie. And he should come over and talk to me. Also, I don't know what you guys are thinking, but that movie Joy, David O. Russell's movie, is is a sweet movie. You know, I had a hard time with American Hustle, but I had to watch it three or four times to understand that there that he's working within a tone that I've never quite seen before, and it took me a while to get the handle on and enjoy. It's a, it's again, there's a tone to it. There's a there's sort of like there's something beautifully human muting the pain in this movie. It, it's certainly an entertaining movie, as was American Hustle, and that there there's some weird thing he's doing where he's meeting his own artistic needs and creativity, but also you know kind of appealing to a mainstream audience and he was doing this with the fighter and also with uh, uh silver linings playbook and and i just didn't understand the trailer for joy it made it look like i don't know what it made it look like but it was not the movie that i saw and i enjoyed the movie hateful eight i liked it and uh you know people should fucking relax tarantino's a fucking wizard and it's a comedy if you don't think that those characters are fucking clowns, you're out of your mind. And all that blood and all that gore and just the beautiful lyricism of the of the 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 um, talking is it's so it's it's pretty hilarious and pretty exciting. I, I think now we should talk to Crispin Glover uh, and you know strap in. You know he he operates at a level of intensity that is not. Uh, your day-to-day level of intensity, but I think through the through the conversation, you'll yeah, I think a lot of people judge Crispin and they they they've decided he's uh, nuts or whatever. But what I found is that he's 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 a guy with a specific vision about what he wants to put in the world creatively, and uh, and we get there. I think so. Enjoy this conversation if you want with uh, Crispin Glover. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades, or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get Get your podcasts. Your father uh, had a profound impact on me when I was younger. Oh, yeah? How? Um, 
I'm sure he had a, a profound impact on me as well. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would think so. Um, he he was in. Um, what's his full name? Bruce. Uh, he was given the name Bruce Herbert Glover. Yes. And my my whole name is. Crispin Hellion Glover, and he didn't like his middle name, Herbert. So as a struggling actor, he would say in New York, he would say to himself, I'm Bruce H. Glover, I'm Bruce Hellion Glover, I'm a troublemaker. And it made him feel good as a struggling actor. But they gave him him you that, they gave you that name. Yeah, my mother, he told my mother that was his real middle name. Mm. And and so then when they were married, she saw... Bruce Herbert Glover. She thought, "Who am I marrying?" But they gave it to me as my real middle name. Oh, that was it. You were destined. I guess so. it was a good. They gave me a good name. Yeah. He. <laughs> well, the reason why he haunted me was he was in uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Yes, right. which I saw when I was very young. I imagine I can't right. remember when it came out, but it must have been the 72, early 70s. Right. So I was nine. Four. Seventy-four. Yeah. So, so I was eleven. Yeah. And there was just something insidious. Yeah, about those two, yeah, about right. your father and yeah. the other guy. Yeah, right. And uh, like, they, I I remember, like, I don't think I've seen that movie in decades. And I remember yeah. <laughs> one of them, they put a bomb in his pants, right, and threw That's him. That's my father. Yeah, and they threw him over the side of the boat, <laughs> right. But your father in acting was so bizarre, <laughs> and his his tone and his demeanor was so yeah. fucking bizarre that it haunted me. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he would be happy to hear would that. Would he? <laughs> and he was also in Chinatown, not in, right. a, not in a haunting role. And I was I was on the set of both of those films briefly, which I'm very happy to say. Do you remember? Yeah, very well. Like me, I'm sure you like met Sean Connery. I did, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah briefly, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And Jack Nicholson? Uh, I, well, I have met Jack Nicholson, but that was later on. I, I, did not, I met Roman Polanski. My father and Roman Polanski were friendly, and they'd play chess together. Really? I was there on the day that they shot... The final scene in in uh, in oh. Chinatown, but I wasn't there while they were shooting. Uh, so your dad only brought you the 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 bloody always. the bloody horrible parts. <laughs> no, the end. no, no. I yeah. didn't. I didn't always go on the sets. But yeah, but your father was this this bizarre presence. And yeah, then, and you were look exactly like him almost. Well, <laughs> we it's close enough. So like you said in this this new movie yeah. that I'm I'm editing right now. Yeah. Uh, we we play. The same characters at different ages. Uh huh. Yeah. It was interesting what you said when I had that reaction to um, the 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 small amount of uh, of what I watched of Amy in a Cage. Yeah. And you said, uh, well, I'm sure you could uh, you know cite influences, but you know he's trying to do something that is um, sort of utterly unique in a way. It it is it is actually unique. I I he did something interesting. He'd never made a movie before, and. Uh, I wasn't exactly certain what it would be like, yeah. but I I appreciate it. I want to work with him again. Uh, I just got a script today really? from him, and I, uh, I I I really like him. I uh, but I, it it seems to me that it's something that you know you do as well. That at some point, um, your uh, your creativity and your and your style of living and your imagination <laughs> seem to kind of persist against anything that was accepted or understandable. Well, I. That too much uh, at the beginning. No, well, no, no. I mean, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I. It's an interesting uh, way to think about it. I, I. 
Well, I don't know that I initially have set out to do that, right. but it might be interpretable that way. Because I remember at some point, like, I mean, I'd, I'd like to talk about, you know, growing up in this this weird, uh, you know, cesspool of a show business town. <laughs> and, I, and I also noticed in the trailer you just showed that there was a recurring symbol of the illuminated eye mm-hmm. on the watch. Right. Which is, uh, I guess it can be attributed to... To Egyptians, to the Illuminati, to Crowley, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where did you pick that eye up? I mean, mine's all well start well, there. Well, I, I, I have, uh, uh, I, I, this is my third feature mm-hmm. that that I, I've, I'm, well, I'm in the midst of editing yeah. now. But the 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 pr- the first film I made, which I started shooting in 1996, yeah, called What Is It? Actually, I should also say I'll be at the Egyptian mm-hmm. Theater here in Los Angeles. I think it's March 18th and 19th, yeah. the American Cinematheque. And okay. I, I, I've been touring for the past 11 years now uh, with my shows and films. I perform a live show. What does uh, that entail? Well, actually, I have two different live shows. Yeah. I've been interested to talk, uh, talk to you about it because, well, I, I know that you tour as, mm-hmm. as, a, as a comedian. Yeah. And, and I, I, I've been... I'm not a comedian, right? But there is something uh, of humor within the shows, sure. And I t- I tour, mm-hmm. so I relate very much. As I've been watching a lot of comedians uh-huh. recently on, on YouTube, and cool. I'm very interested. I don't know. There's something I'm very interested in about that. Like who are you watching? Well, I I, I was listening to the Louis sure. C.K. thing oh, because yeah. uh, your interview with him because I was I was studying him. I had I had like. Uh, I had dismissed George Carlin for hmm. most of my existence until about I don't know three years ago. Oh yeah, I, and I, I it wasn't that I disliked him. I I had heard the when I don't know you know like when I was I don't know when it came out eleven twelve whatever seven words he, the seven words sure. and I no and I and I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was intelligent and funny. And you're a kid, so it's like you're exciting. right, yeah. right, right. But somehow I mixed I mixed him up. <laughs> Sounds kind of yeah. weird with like Gallagher, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I so, I kind of thought he was like a guy who it's a bad mix up. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's a very bad mix up. Yeah, and I and I so but I thought of him as like a hippie humorist mm-hmm. that did puns or something, mm-hmm. and I just kind of thought that's not interesting. So what brought you back around? I was watching on YouTube uh, an interview. I thought oh, he had just died yeah. a few. years years before and i thought well okay there's an interview it was like american greats on television and i thought well this guy lived his life and i'll see what his his interview is (laughs) and i was why i thought this guy is incredibly intelligent and funny and then i then i watched (laughs) everything where did the melon thing come from why was he smashing melons (laughs) well i i I wasn't that mixed up (laughs) right but i kind of thought they were similar right oh i get it yeah 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 i didn't think they were the same person i just thought something similar sure but but so then you got into carlin yeah, I mean, I mean, early on, yeah. like uh, when I was I was studying acting, I started going to a professional acting class when I was what uh, uh, fifteen. After uh, you'd already done some work. Yes. Yeah. I I I got an agent when I was thirteen uh, years old. How did that happen? Did, were your parents into it? Were you, are you were your parents together out here? Where, yes, my parents are still married. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. That's uh, amazing. <laughs> Unusual. Yeah. yeah. Do you have siblings? Uh, I was raised as an only child, <laughs> and uh, so I. Um, I had seen my mother's an a, uh, retired as a dancer and actress uh-huh. when I was born. So I was I was I saw essentially how the the business had worked, uh-huh. 
and uh, I, I originally, I, the first thing I was interested in profession, I knew mm-hmm. I had to get a job. I was raised middle class, and I knew I'd have to move out and make money. I was aware of But acting, you, you were raised no. in the world. Well, I didn't know initially that acting would be it. I initially but was- your, your father was an actor. He was so an you, actor. Right. But I was initially thinking I would be a geologist. I thought I liked, but my concept, this was like at age nine or something. And so my concept <laughs> was I'd, I'd have a pick yeah, and I would break open geodes and yeah. find beautiful crystalline- Yeah, sure. Interiors, mysterious, amazing things in rocks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and then I realized they'd probably have to work for a, a geothermal corporation. At 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 eleven, you realized that yeah. there was a geothermal corporation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it, that it probably wouldn't be that much fun. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I I recognized that acting actually was a pretty good uh-huh. business. Uh-huh. I was starting around age eleven or yeah. so, and then I. Uh, it wasn't until I was 13, there was a kid at school who was at the Mary Grady Agency, and he had done some commercials, and I I recognized that I could, you know, yeah. get some commercials or be on yeah. TV or and something. you did some sitcoms, didn't you? You did some cute stuff? I did. Well, I did some commercials. I did the, my very first job, which I got at a, from a, uh, a cattle call. Uh-huh. It was at the Dorothy Jandler Pavilion mm-hmm. uh, in downtown L.A., uh, for the sound of music, mm-hmm. and Maria was played by Florence Henderson. So I got that, and then and then I I did I did I think as one I, of the von Trapp kids. Yeah, I was okay. Friedrich von Trapp, uh-huh. and uh, and then I uh, I did that for six months, mm-hmm. and then I, uh, I I got a commercial after that, and then I did when I was sixteen. I I started studying professionally when I was fifteen, and when I was sixteen, I uh, went in a, another cattle call for a sitcom uh, which involved an improvisation and I uh-huh. did an improvisation for mm-hmm. that and I I got uh, essentially the lead part in this uh, television show called uh, Pilot called uh-huh. The Best of Times which is I, I still can't watch it it was uh, <laughs> <laughs> embarrassing <laughs> and i and i i mean actually i like the improv yeah. that i did but uh-huh. i i but did it ever did it, it didn't get made or it no did? no no it was it's and it's out there on youtube somewhere but but they, it didn't become a series <laughs> no or? no it, it was so you lucked out in a way <laughs> yeah yeah no and i learned a lot from it why like, can't you watch it now is it just Im- <laughs> oh it makes me uncomfortable is <laughs> i still can't watch that. But but it was like at that point I had not figured out how to take that which was written on the page and I, I played what was written on the page. Sure. The improvisation they wrote into the script and that was basically okay. But there were other things that I just played the page and it's just it's it's uncomfortable. Well, it's it's, it's weird because you know di- you know doing some television and writing some television is that and I know this even in writing it is that you know where that thought and that that idea is going to end. I mean, it's one thing doing, you know, theater and whatnot when you're doing the work of geniuses in terms of doing lines. Sure, of course, yeah. But but sometimes there, you know, what an actor has to bring emotionally and and to make something actually present, yes, and 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 somewhat believable, engaging is is quite a task. Absolutely, <laughs> that's 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 the task. Yeah, is 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 to take the thing that which is on the page and, and then to give it uh, right. But uh, sitcoms, depth. sitcoms notoriously, right. There's you know a lot of times there's <laughs> the depth you're looking for is 
yeah. not on the page. That's correct. That's correct. And, <laughs> yeah. and 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 it is the job of an actor. I find that's the mo- the most thing that I have to concentrate yeah. on when I'm acting in in somebody else's uh, screenplay. And who'd you study with at that age? I, I was at a place called uh, Staircase Studios, which was, uh, it's no longer there. It was on uh, Beverly, it was on Beverly and, uh, no, on Fairfax and Olympic. Mm-hmm. And it had a, it was a great, it was a great uh, little place. And I, I studied there straight for three years, improvisation with technique as opposed to improvisation uh, through with comedy. Mm-hmm. And then, although it was something that I saw, that good work whether it was dramatic or whatever, it, it tended toward having humor within it, and uh, and then I and then at eighteen I simultaneously started studying at a place which is more well known called the Loft Studios. Yeah, uh, with uh, Peggy Fury and Bill Trailer, husband and wife, uh-huh. and a lot of a lot of well known actors <clears throat> studied there. Who was in your crew when you were a kid? People we know. Um, well, at, at, at people that studied at that. Uh, there were, um, I, Sean Penn had studied there before I was there, but while I was there, uh, Nicholas Cage was there, Eric Stoltz was there, um, Chris Penn was there. Really? Um, and you were all like under 20. Yes. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, nine, eight, 18 when I started. And that's really, I guess, your generation and my generation of actors yeah. when you think about it, yeah, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I recently worked with Eric Stoltz. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 I, 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 he had played my brother in a Bayer aspirin commercial when I was 16. And then he, 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 he played my, well, originally started to play my son in Back to the Future. Uh-huh. And then they, he, was, he, was, he was fired and he was replaced with Michael J. Fox. That's sort of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> well. I don't remember who I was talking to about that. I don't know if it was him. <laughs> or what? But that was like he was hired, correct? Right. He we shot for five or six weeks with him. Oh my god! I, I had shot most of my role by the time uh, Michael came in. Yeah, and then I had to reshoot it. Sort of devastating in it a way. Was, uh, it was. Uh, I'm I'm writing a book right now. Oh yeah, good. Uh, I'm on page three hundred, and uh, it's not just about that. But I'm I'm writing about things having to do with that, and a lot of other things that are very important. I was I was th- in terms of. Sounds like you're writing volume one of a many book series. Anything's possible. I mean, I, 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 I've been saving interviews that I do my interviews by email mm-hmm. usually when I tour with my shows. And so t- more than 10 years of interview, written interviews, I have, I think, I'm forgetting what it is. It's like 3,000 pages of interviews that I've done. But it's like I'll copy and paste the essential sure. portions. And so I've got, I've, I thought initially I would just start cutting down stuff from those interviews but there's a very specific um subject matter that i'm i'm honing in on which is um well <laughs> it has to do with propaganda mm-hmm. and it's a it's a subject matter that i'm somewhat passionate about and 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 uh, to how do you define it well the kind of propaganda that I'm I'm specifically reacting to is corporate interest propaganda, mm-hmm. which is uh, really devastating on the culture right now. And and I'm very happy. Uh, I start my first film. What is it? Is a strong reaction to mm-hmm. this and to the brainwashing. Uh, well, 
Y- y- yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. How does the uh, the uh, events of Back to the Future play into this as a foundation? <laughs> well, it, I knew this would happen when I came in here, <laughs> which is not, I don't know what I mean about Back to the Future, but I, I mean, what I've recognized and part of why I'm writing this book mm-hmm. right now is because... <clears throat> I've been very hesitant to talk in great detail about several important things that people always ask me about. Mm-hmm. And and it's because on some level, this would be the kind of show sure. that, that would be right for me to go into those details mm-hmm. about. But there's a can of worms mm-hmm. that, that starts to open that if I... I, like I said, I'm on page 300 of yeah. this book, yeah. and it, it's like I could talk to you in great detail sure. about it, and it would be far beyond the time that the, the would be in the constraints sure. of the, the show. Well, what I got like right away, you know, for like something just you know popped in my head, you know, having the conversation in the in the uh, in the order we've had it, mm-hmm. that you know we go from you know this this sidebar, which is the Eric Stoltz story, and mm-hmm. then you know, and then you say, well, it's part of my my book, which is with some urgency. And then you say, which is also, which is about that and more important things is that like, you know, what immediately popped into my head, you know, when you, when you hinted at propaganda and whatnot is I've, I've had this thing in my mind lately about, you know, what, what are our own thoughts? You know, what is, what really constitutes the culture, cultural reality mm-hmm. that we live in? Yeah. And uh, and then when you said propaganda, I thought you know movie companies. I thought yeah. the 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 Spielberg vision, yeah, uh, and also Zemeckis and you know yeah. whoever. And and then I went back to thinking about the original, uh, you know, the original uh, Jewish studio owners who constructed uh, a, a a a film life mm-hmm. for America, mm-hmm. and in their inability to be accepted into America, they mm-hmm. built. The, the illusion of America, which became the reality of America, right. which sort of is the foundation of, of film's power over our cultural reality. I, I've seen, the, you know, there's that book that came out that they were talking about that stuff a lot. Uh, 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 there's well, a, something of our books, own. Something, uh, yeah. Was it? Uh, fuck. I, right. It's that, that, I love that book. Neil yeah, Gabe, where I think. I know things about it, and I, I think I saw the, they made a documentary on it. I haven't read the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the book. But I, there's something that's. It's, what I'm writing about yeah. is di- different from right. that because right. it's. Uh, I just I the thing the thing that I'm very happy that's starting to happen, mm-hmm. which I when I started touring ten years ago, my my film What Is It is a very s- specific reaction to this. Situation. You get good audiences. Yeah, I mean I've I've recouped on my films. Oh, good. And uh, all over the world. Yeah, yeah. I've been. I mean, I mostly have toured in the United States and Canada. But I've been in Europe. I've been in Japan. I've been in Australia. I've been in. Okay, so it's a, so now we come back to where we are, and we can build up to where you want to go, which is that you know we started. You were you're studying Carlin uh, for comedic elements, and and you talked about training and improvisation, and 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 and, and, and this had something to do with your performances. You know, maybe. Oh, oh yeah. Well, well, the George Carlin. I I I only looked at more recently. Yeah. Probably more influential to me personally yeah. would be Andy Kaufman. Sure. Which I saw. When I was studying improvisation with technique, mm-hmm. that you know episode on Fridays mm-hmm. when uh, it was 1980, mm-hmm. and uh, you can tell he goes off script. Do you know the episode I'm talking about? I think about? so. Yeah, uh, it's on YouTube, and Michael Richards is in the 
is in the the skit mm-hmm. and 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 you know it, Fridays was very like drug oriented yeah. and they and and at that time people would laugh about these things and the, there was like an announcer introducing saying we uh when people are going into the bathroom they're actually taking some kind of drug and the audience kind of cheers yeah and, yeah so each of the like i think one of the there's two couples in a french restaurant and one of the the wives or girlfriends goes out over and she goes into the bathroom the audience kind of cheers and they're having small talk mm-hmm. at the table then andy kaufman gets up and he goes to the uh the bathroom and comes back and uh, the audience is kind of cheering he sits down and and he he obviously has a line yeah and he he's, he he kind of says, "I I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't." And 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 then one of the act the actress, it seems like she probably has the reaction line, and he hasn't given the cue, right. and she starts going, <laughs> right, kind of forced, repeating a forced laughter. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't start prompting him. She just kind of laughs. <laughs> and it's live, I think, right? I believe it was, yeah. yeah. I mean, I saw it when because I was very interested in watching mm-hmm. it at the time, and I was studying improvisation yeah. at the time. Uh, so I could tell, I liked it because I could tell the improvisation, he was actually making it a real improv. Right. He was making it so nobody knew what to do, and I found that really funny. And compelling. And compelling. Yeah. And then, and then, and then eventually Michael Richards goes off camera. He picks up a stack of cue cards and throws them down on the table. And then Andy Kaufman, I think, throws a glass of water in his face. Yeah. And, and then, you know, they go to, 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 to commercial. So, so Richards probably did that out of anger. Like, they, yes. Like it feels like that. Do to, your job. Yes, exactly. And what about that was so uh, amazing to you? Well, I could tell that it wasn't. Uh, I could tell that it was. It, it's something genuine was happening. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. It was much more fascinating than what the actual mm-hmm. uh, scripted or you know cue carded right, right. Uh, skit was. And and as 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 studying acting, that was uh, fascinating to me. Now, when you did your early film work. You know, was this, you know, something that was sort of um, gnawing at you? This, you know, this desire to have more freedom as an well, actor. I, I mean, I was, I was taught very clearly, even though I was taught improvisation mm-hmm. with technique, I was taught not to go off script, mm-hmm. and uh, I generally don't uh, as an actor. Actually, the Herbert Jackson Jackson movie, the 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 one, they're the ones that contacted Amy in the cage. Me. Amy in the cage. Uh, he. When I first talked to him, he told me he wanted to have me improvise, which is not... I've done very little of it in my career, and yet it's how I I initially um, studied, uh, learned to act. I mean, of course, my father's an actor, and he he's an acting teacher. I never formally studied with my mm-hmm. uh, my father. I'm sure I perked things up, obviously. You, but you've always gotten along with him, and he's been supportive? And Oh, yeah. My parents, uh, when I said that I uh, was interested in it, they, my father was... He was actually surprised because 
he wasn't ever like super famous or super right. wealthy or anything. Yeah. So he was pleased that I actually, you know, there was struggle, you right. know. And so he was pleased that I actually thought there was something that seemed okay about oh, right. what, what Oh, he what, was what, like on a respect level that yeah, he, yeah, he, he liked he, what he did. Well, I think just that he thought that it would it was a seemed like a business that was okay. Like uh-huh. he, he <laughs> I probably I I don't think he put it this way, but that probably something that he felt yeah, that I was, I was. It was a compliment on, yeah. uh, on yeah. some level. Sure. And then my mother was uh, was uh, helpful and would like bring me to sure. audition. So yeah, my that was a very good thing that my parents were supportive. But I'll tell you, and you know, they, I... and then also that they didn't push me into it because I've seen people that uh, you know were children actors and uh-huh. stuff, and it can really mess people up. And luckily. You know, 13 is actually an old age for a child actor, but it was a very good age to start for uh, a young actor. Right. And it's what's an adult actor. What's amazing to me is just how, you know, profoundly memorable, you know, you are in almost everything you appear in. And that and that even with, you know, scripts or whatever, that you seem to find a frequency at which these characters operate at that is very <laughs> visceral and 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 disconcerting. Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. <laughs> like I mean, even in Back to Future, which is this huge mainstream movie, uh, I, you made me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I ha- I have not seen the film since uh, it came out. Uh huh. I don't I don't know if uh, anything's possible. I I suppose that's interesting. I haven't heard that particular take on it. I mean, I'm Well, my, glad I to haven't hear seen it. it in a while either, but my recollection is you were an uncomfortable character. Good. I, I mean, weren't you? I mean, it was sort well, of Well, I, I I think I think the character was uh for the most part uncomfortable yeah, yeah. in in at the end there's a change in uh, the character yeah. and it, it becomes comfortable which there was some questions that that i had about what the what the 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 why the character became comfortable and i i had i had not been given the screenplay before uh i auditioned with a side yeah you know so just a a single scene Mm -hmm. and they were it was right around that time this was 1984 when they they were just um they didn't want to give the script out sure uh, for worries that it would give ideas away. Yeah. And I was 20 years old. I was glad to get the part in a Steven Spielberg, Universal Studios, big movie. And and my agent, I I thought, well, I asked my agent, are you know, this seems like a good part. There was another character in the scene. Should I audition for this part as well? And he said, no, no, you don't understand. The character plays like an older version of itself. Uh-huh. Uh, it goes back and forth yeah. on time. I said, wow, that sounds amazing. Great. Yeah. yeah, get the deal Yeah, done. So I, I didn't read it until I was already contracted yeah. to be in it. Right. And, and, and being that I was, I had studied, you know, this basically the Stanislavskian type of psychological uh-huh. understanding of the character. Uh-huh. I had to ask questions right. to understand why things were or how I was supposed to be. And a lot of the questions that I asked, there was an ending that I had, it, it affected what my character was wearing uh-huh. and how the character was being. And it, it, it was before Eric Stoltz got fired that I had very a strong conversation with Robert Zemeckis and uh, I felt that there was a, a, a moral in it that that was because there was a reward with money uh-huh. that it ended up being that money equaled happiness uh-huh. and uh, 
I, I didn't use the word propaganda, but I said people are sheep. And if, if our characters get a financial reward in this, a monetary reward, it will mean that money equals happiness. And he got, uh, he did not like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, and the weird thing is, <laughs> I've talked about like this you're before. You're reading too much into it, kid. Well, and people will say that. Sure. But, but the fact of it is, I had to get, I had to figure out what, what, how I was going to play it and yeah. what it was going to mean when I was right. playing this thing. Right. And, and I mean, ultimately I had a good relationship with Robert mm-hmm. Zemeckis and uh, I ended up working with him later in, in, uh, in uh, Beowulf. I wasn't in the sequels. There was right. a lawsuit about, they had put a prosthetics on another actor to make him up to, to look like me from the original molds that were made of my face from the, uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Why'd they cut you out? <laughs> Well, they—that's the problem. Is they didn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> they, well, I we didn't they come just to gave a, somebody your face. They put my face on another actor. <laughs> it's funny if it isn't you. <laughs> no, I know, I know. It's, it's disturbing, I mean, but it sounds—it sounds very sort of um, uh, <laughs> you know relevant and bizarre to it's you know bizarre. the things that you're interested in. I just watched a trailer that you did that involves several very realistic looking masks. Yeah, I'm wondering yeah. how much that reality of that <laughs> may have informed some of your uh, well, aggression it, it, and creativity. Probably so. There was a lawsuit about and because of my, my lawsuit, the rules in the Scre- Screen Actors Guild that make it so this kind of thing can't ever happen again. But it, it puts me in a very rare category to be the only actor of to have had this specific crime committed your face was stolen yes quite literally <laughs> <laughs> they they had the 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 the, the molds yeah. of my face from the original film and they applied my features onto another actor in order to fool audiences into believing i was in the sequel which many people still to this day believe it was me and it was another actor playing me do you know that guy I, I've never met him in person. I, I, he was a part of. He ended up being a, a witness in the lawsuit. So I Against had, you I had or a for con- you for me, and, uh-huh. and so uh, he was a. I had a conversation. Did with you him. win the lawsuit? Well, like I said, because of, I have a to be careful about right. how I, I I phrase it. Uh, right. But, but because of the lawsuit, there are rules in the screen. It was settled with mutual satisfaction, and there was a precedent set for. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, there are legal. They precedents. can't do it anymore. That's correct. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, I mean, technically, it was always illegal. What right. they did was totally illegal. Wow! Uh, Stole but... your face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, bizarre. It is bizarre. <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> and, and do, was there? Uh, do you know why they didn't just cast you? Well, we we, we it, they they were mad at me, right? For because I'd questions. ask questions. They're like, he's difficult to work with. Yes, I mean, I mean, mm. the the weird thing was was they were it was it was I wasn't really difficult. I mean, you could make right, anybody sure. can make that argument. You're an intense fellow. Well, yeah, I, maybe I don't. I I guess. Yeah. I, I I don't feel like that, but I suppose so. people who are intense and and intelligent, <laughs> uh, you know, it make people in charge right. uncomfortable. It can it, it can be that. It it shouldn't be that way. No, that's right. It shouldn't be that's that. Right. Way. That's right. That's right. Because the pro and that's where where it comes to the corporate problem. Mm-hmm. Because because if corporate interests were not having influence on the content, mm-hmm. which is what is happening in our corporate 
evenly yeah. distributed uh, everything and and funded uh, film and media reality uh, <laughs> the, it it makes it so that if you're questioning that then that's a problem yeah. it shouldn't be that way and the, and there's political things that I'm very happy that are going on right now mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm surprised that that Bernie Sanders is is making the kind of awareness that that's 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 going on right now yeah. it's it's very positive sure and i i i'm i'm very happy that that's happening of course it has to do with business and it's specifically with with corporate interests mm-hmm. uh but uh, what i'm writing about is how it affects art that because i don't I don't. I, I've been talking about these political elements lately, but I hate politics. Sure. It's not my interest. My interest is art. But when I see that it's affected art and it has affected my life, it gets to me. It's almost well, you know. There, <laughs> they, there's very limited public funding for art, and and also that's there's... okay. I mean, I mean, it sure would be nice. But the problem is, is that is that we're not living in a true democracy. We're right. not and not in a functioning democracy. That's right. That's true. And 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 what it really comes down to, which I, I also am happy that there's a movement is about getting an amendment passed which would get uh, money out of politics because right now we have legalized money bribery. Out of, yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate. The The positive thing mm-hmm. is that the propaganda has been that we live in a democracy. Yeah. But there's more of us than there are corporations. The only reason corporations are able to be enjoying the existence that they're enjoying is because people are letting it happening, be happening. And the government but, has made concessions to, to allow it. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, or not even concessions. They've been paid off to paid let, off ma- and... ma- make it happen. So what it's positive is mm-hmm. because it's called a democracy mm-hmm. all we have to do is align it through a proper amendment and, and, and then get, it could become a functioning democracy and then corporations could be put in the proper placement so they're they're serving the people as they should be serving yeah the and, and what that would take is for someone to listen to what you're saying all the way through and not go like yeah 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 yeah, it's well. It's it's also why I really think. I mean, I don't know what the ultimate solution is, but I can I do I can tell that getting an amendment passed to truly get uh, money out of uh, legalized bribery out of politics, uh, we have a good that start. that would would have a domino effect mm-hmm. of really positive uh, uh, change. Now, when you do um, when you talk about art and you talk about this um, uh, crusade in a way. Uh, in terms of your 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 um, agenda against corporate occupation of the government and and the arts, when you take your films out, you know what what is the show? I'm curious. I mean, how do you? Oh, usually- yeah. I uh, since the '80s, I, I started I started making the the live show is consists of eight. Well, I have two different live shows, and it yeah. consists of eight different books. I uh-huh. have them here. These are your self published books. These are self published. I I started publishing these in the '80s. Nice looking. These are yeah. I'm I'm very proud of the books. These are heavily uh, illustrated. Oh, interesting. Uh, uh, books. The images are um, projected behind me as I dramatically me so nar- these are, these narrate are, uh, the books. These are like sort of like uh, things that you've you know written and cut out and 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 played with. Yes, and yeah. like I said, I made most of these in the '80s and yeah. very early '90s. Oh, these are nice. And yeah, I'm very proud of the books. Yeah, and and so I. Do you uh, have a company that binds them for you so beautifully that you work with, or do you do this? I, I self-publish them. I, I. Who does the binding though? The, it looks those, classic. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 done in the style of books from the 1800s because yeah. they're taken from books in the 1800s, uh, uh, and the made into different is? books. Well, some of it. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's. 
there, each book is done in a very different way. Like the one that you're looking at right now is something I found photographs of in uh-huh. an old uh, thrift shop. Oh, and yeah? It was like a photographer, uh-huh. semi-professional or professional photographer. They had thrown a lot of his work away and there was this kind of modely looking woman by a trash can and I thought an interesting story could be made. That one, Rat Catching, I found the binding on Hollywood Boulevard in probably 1983. I made that in 1984 I started it before I made Back to the Future and finished it just as I, right after I finished. This uh, was this Back when you were living there on Hollywood Boulevard. Yes, I yeah. remember reading about your yeah. place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And People... someone had gone over there, and you had a lot of interesting. Uh, bits of ephemera well it, people magazine was it was the first article that i ever had uh, that was when i was promoting river's edge that was the first time i ever did publicity uh-huh. I, my original plan was never to do any publicity at all i was just be an actor that would play different parts and you wouldn't know anything right. about me and then i didn't do any publicity for back to the future but when when river's edge Can came I have out these? yes you oh, may you. I, I bought those that's for beautiful you. but but the uh, uh back to the future i mean when river's edge came out at that time it made sense for me to to promote it and i i ended up going on to the johnny carson show twice in a row and then they wanted me to go on to the letterman show and uh uh, but I had never done any publicity. It was very outside of what my interest w- was. How about your comfort zone? Uh, well, this is again, this is the territory that I part of what I'm I'm uh, writing about. I it was it is not what I had planned to do. It's not what I liked. Uh, publicity. Well. I'm a business person as well, as particularly as a as a filmmaker. I I have to publicize my films. And you put out books. And I put out books, although that's not something I'm so. Films are very high. Uh, I I fund my films yeah, myself. Sure. So I put a lot of money into them. Uh, the books I I fund the books myself, and that is kind of actually how I learned about business because my parents essentially were actors mm-hmm. which is not a very business oriented sure. we background. never know the artists and the, no. the, the actors sort of like you, you got two or three people doing that stuff and you're like how does this work don't worry about it kid yeah <laughs> it's uh it's not it's not my 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 background and so when i i had a record out also in 1989 i remember that that was uh like uh that was pretty out there too. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, i'm proud of the record yeah and in fact there's some of the book readings on, on on the record as well but i it was around the same time that i published the first book rack hatching 88 and around the same time that i published i'd sold the same amount of books that i had sold on my records mm-hmm. and i had made much more money on my books because I'd published them myself. I, I never made any money on the record except for what they, sure. a very small amount. What was, that it, what was that record paper. called? It was called The Big Problem Does Not Equal the Solution. The Solution Equals Let It Be. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, there there was a kind of an idea that people would uh, look at the, listen to the different elements. And, and there was a telephone number on the back because it was pre-internet. The telephone number let people know how to buy the books, but it the idea was that people would call up and they would say what the big problem was. I didn't say I didn't give the right, answers right. to what the big problem was, right. but it let people. So think these about are, these it. that that in and of itself is is an artistic experiment. It's yes. almost a performance piece. And the first book, the rat one, yeah, 
It wasn't the first book I made, but it was the first book I published. But these were like you seem to find, and this is something I feel about you, even in you know when you showed up at my at my door, yeah, in the way that you're dressed, in a way that you seem to be interested in in these portals to other times, yeah, uh, that 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 reveal a certain human darkness that is unexplainable, yeah. Yeah, I, I like things that are a bit mysterious, and uh -huh. I and I do. I tend. I mean, my first two films are not specifically period films, but there's an aspect to them. The new one is very much a period. It takes place in four different time periods. It just reminds me of this sort of like there's, like I, I somehow like when I talk to you, you know, and and what I've seen of of your work and and what you're interested in. There, there's something about like how I know you covered a Manson song, yeah, and I know that you you sort of you seem to be somewhat creatively fascinated with the 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 mythologizing of individuals, but also the darkness available in individuals. Sure, uh, and and that like you, you seem to have a respect for 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 Hollywood's tabloid past in a way. How do you mean? Well, I mean that there's there's something I've always found this place poetically haunting. Yeah, Hollywood and definitely. the history of show business. I think it's the the most interesting thing about it is the underside of right, it. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah, so I called yeah. that tabloid my mistake. It right. has a different definition now. Right, right. But but yeah, the 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 havoc it wreaks on yes. on the souls the, who the, try. The, my favorite book ever about Los Angeles which I read when I was 13 or four, 14 was uh, The Day of the Locust. Have oh, you read yeah. that book? Yeah, it's, it's It's great, but it's, it's, it captures, you can tell that um, Nathaniel West, he, yeah. he was writing screenplays. Yeah, he knew. And yeah, he, he and, and, the, and the very thing, I read it when I was, you know, hadn't gone through everything that I've, I've been through, yeah. but I liked it initially when I was 13 or 14 years old. And then I kept, thinking it's the only book i've ever reread i didn't even re i didn't reread the whole thing but i wanted to go back and 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 look at it i mean they made a movie about it which has certain portions are poetically quite perfect and beautiful and certain oh, yeah yeah they are, i, I like the movie right. i i i there, there was yeah i like the end of it and i like donald sutherland in it well he's great he's yeah. great in the, and karen black so, is great in it and <clears throat> who directed that again it's uh, the guy who directed uh, midnight cowboy uh Schlesinger? yeah oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's right that's right and uh but the book i mean yeah, it's there a masterpiece it's the, a masterpiece the, it, it it is and and it's it it the thing that still is in los angeles is in that book sure. that was in yeah. the 1930s. Right, right, so right. It, he 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 very much captures the um, the uh, he because he talks about the surface quality of the architecture. Yeah. There were a lot of that's been torn down now, but the you know things that look like owls yeah, and yeah. and the idea that it was surface there was a surface value yeah. which is totally true yeah and, and and that that ends up being the thematic element in the book uh -huh. which is completely true about this city yeah and I, I it's a very good thing to be aware of if i if i meet somebody that's newly in los angeles mm -hmm. i say read this book and but what is that thing though that that you know the surface value is there because but it's quantifiable you, you, I understand you can, that, but, you but, can but, make but, money out of it, but it's not of actual value. No, I get that. But what's what's always there is the strange sort of you know dark desperation because people of, uh, 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 when they come to the city and mm -hmm. they don't have that back mm -hmm. they background they can get confused about what that surface and value exploited. is and they start thinking that it's a, it's their internal value and it's a very bad way to think about the city. The city you have to look at it as a business city, right? But they destroy. 
destroys people. Of course, because they believe that they, right. they put their internal self as being the external self. So this was sort of the battle you fought all your life as an actor, mm -hmm. in a way. I mean, not okay, maybe battle's the wrong word, but your awareness of this. At the uh, well, age, yes, I'm at very the, aware of it. Right, yeah. but at the age that you took it, that yeah. you started to have it, because if you were sort of investigating this stuff creatively, you know, at the time of uh, Back to the Future, that you knew that, you know, you had to you know make, fortify your heart and mind against this business that you were involved in and made a living but in. the the thing was i i didn't think that at the time because i i was going to i when i was 16 i learned how to drive and i started going to all of the revival houses mm -hmm. when i st when i started as an actor at age 13 it was i mean i thought of it abstractly as maybe this is what i could do as a living mm -hmm. but i wasn't uh, I was relatively artistically sophisticated in terms of like I liked, you know, mm -hmm. Salvador Dali or Hieronymus Bosch as painters, mm -hmm. and I I had read interesting books, but I did not equate. I'd grown up watching television sure. mostly, and I did I I didn't see Chinatown, for example, even though my father was in it. I didn't see that until I went to the New Beverly Theater when <laughs> yeah. I was like eighteen or nineteen. Oh, really? Yeah, no, my parents didn't take me to Good see movie. a rated movie. It's a great movie, yeah. although I didn't realize how great it was until I I had always liked Polanski's uh, Repulsion mm -hmm. very much, which I saw that when I was sixteen. So the movies I was seeing. You know, this was 1980. Mm -hmm. So the movies I was watching were, you know, movies from the 70s, mm -hmm. 60s, 20s, 30s, which were heavily, highly questioning films. Mm -hmm. There was something that happened in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was, as a young actor, excited about being part of this great uh, industry that would question things that should be questioned. Uh -huh. But but it, it, in retrospect, I realized there was a strong shift in the control that was happening in the 1980s, mm. the early 80s. Yeah. And I was thinking, where are these questions that I was, I was expecting to be a part of? And then I started feeling there was a essentially a lie mm. and 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 that lie is that it's it's supporting corporate interests which want people to not be questioning things because if you if people question things they will have the ability to take the power away from corporate interests that's right and that's what's important to have happen which i'm very happy about because people are starting to realize this it has something to do with the internet which is it's a very positive thing so in 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 knowing that so in 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 starting to have these realizations as a young actor what did it that... took me a while to really put this stuff together though i i it was when i started making my first film what, what year is are we it? talking 1996. Okay, but it still seems to me that like even movies like I, I can't remember what you played in at close range, but that was with was that with Christopher Walken? And, yeah, Sean Penn, and Sean Chris Penn. Penn, yeah, and uh, and River's Edge. Yeah, that that Dennis, that was a good, very good script, and Dennis but, Hopper was in that. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, and, and yeah. the thing is, is that like the character that you play, like I remember in that movie when you finally pass out in your fucking car. <laughs> yeah. You, you know that like the the insane you know uh kind of like you know speed driven <laughs> loyalty yeah. yeah no it was a, it was it was, a, but, it was but, but like that seemed to be a movie that had integrity it that, did. like it seemed that Absolutely. like if i look at the that choice... was still coming out of that era of of uh -huh. this, that was the kind of movies that i was expecting would be you know slingshotted into more of that kind of thought process and instead i i can see very clearly in retrospect that it was this is the kind of movie that but, was but being he, shunned but, away right but but you know even the doors 
mm-hmm. you know, which was, uh, was that Oliver Stone? Yeah. I mean, you must respect his oh, early Oh, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I very much enjoyed working with him. Oh, yeah. And the people versus Larry Prince. Uh, yeah. Like, well, you were great in uh, that. Milos Forman is uh, definitely one of my favorite people. I've and you ever were great in that with. movie. Uh, well, he, I, 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 what's interesting is he's from the former Czechoslovakia mm-hmm. and uh, he, I, I've I've been I, I was shooting my first film right in the midst of while I shot that movie, mm-hmm. uh, and I I I had long hair. He he's very interested in organic uh, elements. He wanted he wanted to have my hair cut because it goes in from the seventies to the eighties. Yeah. Luckily, there was something out of sequence. They they were going to have to put a wig on me one way or another. Yeah because they had to shoot the 70s stuff after they shot the 80s stuff. So it ended up making sense for me to wear the wig in the 80s. Yeah. I, but it was going to be a problem because in the midst, for me, because I had long hair for my my own production for What Is It, mm-hmm. and I had to shoot, I was expanding What Is It from a short film into a feature. Mm-hmm. But he came up to me one day, and he started being really nice to me when I came on to set. He said, good morning, Crispin. How are you? It's good to see you. How are you doing today? And he, was, and he said, you know why I'm being so nice to you? And I said, no, why, why? And he said, because I've heard you're making a movie and I want to be in it. <laughs> he had a great, he just had a great sense of humor and a great way about him. There are certain filmmakers that uh, have been particularly kind to me. He was one of them. Uh, David Lynch is one of them. Um, uh, Werner Herzog is one of them. John Waters is one of them. And they're all people that you could tell they came from Essentially, I mean, Milos Forman was working a, a, in a different situation, mm-hmm. but they, they essentially manifested their own filmmaking. They funded their own films mm-hmm. or something one way or another. So the fact that those people, they, they in particular have been kind to me, and I, I really appreciate they, it. Uh, they're also kindred spirits in their independent vision, like you're saying. Well, and, I, and they're people that I had watched their, their films as well. And, what did and, you do with, uh, oh, well, you did uh, Wild at Heart. I was in Wild at Heart, and uh, another uh, thing uh, that was a pilot called Hotel Room, and then he had initially... The, the one of the films I'll be showing at the American Cinematheque on the 18th and 19th is my first film, What Is It? Which there's parts one and two I've shot of what will be a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I'll be showing parts one and two at, at the American Cinematheque, mm-hmm. at the Egyptian Theater. I'll show that trailer for the new yeah, yeah. movie. But uh, I haven't shot part three yet. But part three was actually a, a feature screenplay that I'd written before what is it was made as initially going to be a short film to promote most of the actors in the film and what is it have down syndrome Uh the film's not about down syndrome at all what it really is is my psychological uh reaction to the corporate constraints that have happened in the last 30 or more years of filmmaking Mm -hmm. or in anything of corporately funded distributed Mm -hmm. filmmaking where anything that can possibly make an audience uncomfortable is necessarily excised or that film will not be corporately funded or distributed and this Mm -hmm. is a very damaging thing because it's that moment when an audience member sits back in their chair looks up at the screen and thinks to themselves is this right what I'm watching is this wrong what I'm watching should I be here should the filmmaker have done this Mm -hmm. what is it and that's the title of the film what is it that's taboo in the culture what does it mean when the taboo has been ubiquitously excised again this is a very damaging thing because it is that moment when people are asking questions 
that they're having in the etymological sense of the word education, meaning to learn from within, when they're asking questions, they're having true education. Mm. And to ubiquitously excise the possibility of genuine questioning, it becomes the opposite of, uh, of education. What's the opposite of education? It's propaganda. And again, so all expression a, becomes propaganda. If you don't, well, find. corporately funded and sure, distributed right, that's what filmmaking I mean. right. becomes well, that's propaganda. The, that's, that's the 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 threat of the. the... That's the reality. <laughs> it's not just the threat; it's the reality of our situation. But if if it, but there are people like you. There are people that there, there are, are exceptions. There are artists. There are exceptions, and, and, there are and, that... and even there are people that work in the corporately funded distri- and distributed film. Uh, situation that that have struggled through and 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 they they have accomplished getting things through. Now it's this, just the exception as opposed to the rule. But the, and but, I admire it when they do that. But I, the question is enough. The answer is not important. What is it? Is that the question that puts it on? That's the then it's the responsibility of the viewers to be challenged and to experience it and to and to feel their own feelings and yes. and, and live with them. Now that now seeing that that was a theme, so. You know, like going back when when you started to have to do promotion, like whatever the hell happened on Letterman. You know what you responded to. You know with Kaufman was this was this part of 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 your ideology all along that you wanted people to say what is it? Well, I I do feel a responsibility toward uh, putting something that is good for the culture at large. Mm-hmm. I I I have felt guilty at certain times in my career when I felt that the messages that were being put forth that I was a part of were not... Right. And how, did that happen a lot? That's the norm. <laughs> but, but you it's also, not the exception, and, unfortunately. But, but on the other side of that is you have to make a living. Exactly. <laughs> and that's, and that's, the, that's the, the thing is, of course, there's all kinds of great people in the film industry and, and media mm-hmm. that come in and they have all these high hopes and expectation, expectations and they want to do things that are going to challenge mm-hmm. and be interesting and mm-hmm. entertaining and thoughtful and, mm-hmm. and questioning. And then there's a, 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 um, a way that it happens. Uh, and people start thinking, well, okay, I want to act or I, I want to direct a film or I want to write a film. And they end up having to figure out essentially what it is that's going to please the corporate interests. It's not said that way. There's no kind of... When people hear the word propaganda, they think of something like Nazi Germany uh, yeah. or or communist mm-hmm. Russia, where mm-hmm. there was a genuine ministry that was had a dictated kind of panel that said, mm-hmm. "This is going to happen." This is they told you mm-hmm. that isn't how it works here. No, we, no, no. But it still if has the same effect. Well, no, it has the same effect, but we call it entertainment. Well. It was always entertainment. I mean, I, it's like you can go look at those movies that were made in 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 World War Two under under. Okay, that's a good and point. They're, that's a and good point. They, okay. I, I, they had a great series. I went and saw them in the nineties uh, at UCLA of these World War Two era um, German films. They're very well structured movies. I saw about nine of them. Sure. And most of them were love stories. Oh, really? And the and the the love story went like this essentially stay true to your love or you'll be laughed at ridiculed ousted from society and ultimately killed 
Uh, some of them didn't get to the point of 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 right, killing, right. but the the metaphor was apparent. It right. was stay true to the state right. or we'll kill you, which is scary, right. creepy as hell. But so we we don't necessarily have that same message. They they wanted people to be true to the state, but essentially there are similarities. There's there's staying true to the 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 thought process of whatever it is that will serve corporate interests, and if those if the messages within the film go away from that, that film will not be corporately funded or distributed. If something is actually like um, specifically questioning those values, that's going to be but, very but let difficult. Me, let me ask you a question though. You're you're dealing with the world like, you know, the the type of, of work that you do yeah. is is like even that trailer, it it definitely makes me say, you know, what is it? Yeah. This is compelling. Yeah. There there, you know, Good. there there's craft there there there's a lot of um mystery involved. Yeah. But there is a level so I'm saying you're dealing with a, a type of expression even in the books, which yeah. is cryptic by nature. In a way, I, well, I, I, I have a, I do have a strong interest in. I think the surrealists is something that okay, was really important. But, 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 too? but well, yeah, but specifically yeah. what the surrealists did, okay. and they're not. I, I don't know if I'm running out of time. You're but, not. But, but, but the the surrealists, they they understood that Freud's understanding of the of the human subconscious. Freudian analysis was used so that the the patient would sit or lay on a couch and talk about in free association that which was on their mind. And classically, you have the Freudian analyst sitting with a pad of paper, not saying mm -hmm. anything. And then at the end of the session, the Freudian analyst will recognize certain patterns that have come through in, in the subconscious of what they're talking about, whether right. it was in the dreams they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that the things that are bothering the patient that the patient doesn't recognize that an analyst will be able to right. point them out yeah. and then the patient feels better. Yeah. So what the, the surrealists recognized was, okay, well, we don't need to make ourselves feel better. We want to get that which is essentially operating in the subconscious and that creates interesting th things of uh, that people can get something out yeah. of. Provocative, uh, but not necessarily defined. Well, it, some it, it 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 lets it lets the participant, the the audience, bring their own psychology and, on some level, their own subconscious into uh -huh. it and fill in those blanks, which makes them an active participant right, in right. it. Okay. That's good art. Yeah, got and it. all good art does that. It's yeah. not just the surrealist. Sure. So it it depends on what to what level somebody's doing it. There might be somebody like myself who's very subsumed in that kind of thought process, and I very much enjoy things where I can really put stuff together. Some people are less inclined toward that. But that a lot of that has to do with 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 the education uh, that they're, they're they're used to, and I I'm not saying it's wrong to not be able to do it. Sure. You know, I I think people are intelligent sure. and people want to have thoughtful uh, things to go forward. Now it's true there are some people that want to go to a movie and and have I don't know some kind of a, a escapism, but but you don't do that at all. Well, definitely, I, I definitely have that in. Oh, yeah. oh, you mean in my own films or no, when no, I do you go as and in, enjoy or? Uh, sure. I mean, I've been going to, when I was eighteen. I would go and see every single film that was in release. I lived off of Hollywood Boulevard, and so there were all the theaters. I'd go see every single film, and then if I couldn't, I went. 
all the way to Westwood and make sure that I'd see literally every single film that was in release because at that time I felt I was thinking more about acting at yeah. that time but I felt like I could learn something whether it was good or bad yeah. now I don't feel like that as much I, I really kind of want to see things that are excellent are there filmmakers that you enjoy yeah oh definitely uh, that are working now like movies y like it seems like there is a mid there is a middle way where people are making films that are, do have some corporate support that are fairly good oh yeah that definitely yeah. happens but yeah. it's it's the exception as opposed to the rule like what have you liked lately um <laughs> yeah uh, um i I, oh, I, I very much enjoyed Enter the Void. Oh, yeah? Uh, by Be Gaspar Noé. It was good? I, I thought that was very, a very interesting film and very, very cinematic and very well made. And uh, yeah, I, I like that a and lot. And do, um, do, you, do you still enjoy acting? I've always, um, I've always enjoyed uh, aspects of acting. I, uh, I particularly enjoy it, of course, if there's actually something that I, I can get behind. Mm -hmm. But in 2000, I had to make... Uh, after Back to the Future came mm -hmm. out and that film made so much money and it was well regarded, I felt a certain obligation because I'd had some questions about the moral <clears throat> element yeah. in it that I, I felt like I needed to act in something that would somehow psychologically reflect Cleanse. what my in well <laughs> reflect what my genuine interests were uh -huh. and the first film that i acted in after that film had been released was river's edge which is a film that i'm yeah. still very proud of subsequent to that time period most of the films that i acted in did not necessarily i mean i, I reflect what my psychological interests were i i was trying to find characters or directors mm -hmm. or things that were interesting and I don't regret the t time period because there was a a um, a persona that was etched out at that time which essentially I still have and I'm basically comfortable with that persona but but uh, in two th 1999 the second film that I'll be playing at the 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 Egyptian mm -hmm. is called It Is Fine Everything Is Fine. I had read this screenplay way back in 1986. It was written by a man who had a severe case of cerebral palsy, and uh, when he was in his early 20s, his mother died, and he was placed into a nursing home. Uh, and the people that were taking care of him at the nursing home would derisively call him an MR, a mental retard, which is not a nice thing to say to anybody, but. Stephen C. Stewart was his name, was of normal intelligence, and uh, the emotional turmoil for the decade that he was locked into that nursing home, I can't even begin to imagine. Uh, but he did finally get out, and when he got out, he wrote this screenplay in the style of a 1970s TV murder mystery movie of the week, hmm. wherein he's the bad guy. And there was something about that he'd written it in in this genre style as opposed to a standard autobiography, that there were certain elements of his subconscious or psychology that come through. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I was, I, had we not, had Steve died within a month after we finished making the film, uh, he, he, cerebral palsy is not degenerative, but uh, he was getting older. He was 62 by the time we shot it. And, uh, he in 1999 
he, he was starting to choke on his own saliva and he got pneumonia and one of his lungs collapsed. It became apparent if we didn't shoot anything soon, we would never get to shoot anything at all. I had to get money to, to fund that film. It was sure. right at the time that the first Charlie's Angels film was coming to me. And and uh, even when when I first read the script, they 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 were interested in meeting with me and there was I, I play a character that doesn't say anything but it, it originally had dialogue in it and the dialogue was quite um, uh, expositional uh, and, and it, it wasn't necessary dialogue I even needing to, to, to work on the film I, I didn't initially want to go in on the meeting three years before I would have just completely turned sure. the, the, the film down but they said they were interested in hearing what my thoughts were they kept contacting my agents so I went in and I, I sa they said what do you think and I said well I said whether I play the character or not I think the character the dialogue for the character should be excised and it should just be a silent fighting antagonistic character and McGee the director who can be very enthusiastic stood up and said that's great that's how we're going to do it <laughs> fantastic and then they showed me the uh the the, uh, the 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 Chinese uh, team uh, that were going to be doing the the choreography the Yun family yeah. who've done great great work with wire work and they understand psychology of of character through uh -huh. movement and I realized that a silent quiet character with this uh, Chinese team essentially choreographing it could be very interesting and I could fund Steve's film and so that's what happened I, I shot that I acted in Charlie's Angels I flew to Salt Lake where we shot it uh -huh. I co-directed it with uh, David Brothers who built it, it's all shot on sets he's really good at he built all the sets which essentially I paid for with my salary from from Charlie's Angels and uh, we shot it over in three uh, separate smaller productions over a period of six months flew back to Los Angeles and then within a month after uh, shooting the film I got a call and and it became apparent that he was back in the hospital and he was essentially asking for permission to take himself off of life support if uh, we had enough footage to finish the film. And of course, it was a sad day and a heavy responsibility to let Steve know that we did have enough footage to finish the film. But I know that if I had said, no, Steve, you need to get better. We need you. He would have been there because he would have had a great attitude because he'd essentially already done that. But this film, when the whole trilogy of the films are done, that film is the film that'll be the best film in the whole trilogy. But not only that, I feel like it'll be the best film I'll have anything to do with in my whole career. There's just something about the spe specificity of what he, Steve had, had gone through that is is quite uh, unusual. And I mean, of course, I'm very excited about the, the new film. Uh, and it, it's probably the new film, the one with my father, is something that's going to... It's not part of the trilogy, but it... Uh, it's probably something that more people will uh, be able to enjoy in a certain way. So would you say that now most of the time uh, you take roles in, in large corporate movies to fund your art? It was, in, it was at the year 2000 yeah. that then that film came out. And uh, it did very well. I yeah. hadn't been in a film that had made a, a lot of money for a while. Charlie's Angels. Charlie's yeah. Angels did very well. And then I started. You know, that's how things work. It's it's. You would like to think it's. Oh, if I do a really good job in this film, then I'll get right. offers. It's if you're. If it's it's sort of that, but it's more if you're in a. 
do a good job in a film that makes a lot of money, then you get uh, a lot of offers. And uh, and and so good offers did come in. I like Willard came about, which was a, a very uh, enjoyable character to play. That yeah. that to date is still the only time I've ever played the the lead in a uh, in a studio film. Yeah, and uh, I enjoyed playing that character a lot. It was good for my career, and I I I realized. I had to change the way that I was um, thinking about my, my career. I needed to very specifically do, uh, you know, John Cassavetes is definitely a, a role model on that level yeah. of I needed to make as much money as I could as an actor sure. and put that money into making my films. And that's and, what you do. And that, that yeah. And I mean, the, the good thing is, is that there are people out there that uh, are interested in making films that are interesting and they like, they they'll find me often interesting to put in something that that's interesting so it's it, it's worked out uh, and also uh, people are apparently and and I'm I'm happy to hear are, are engaged with what you're doing yeah i mean that's that's something that i'm i ultimately am the most passionate about are are the films that i'm making myself coming full circle do you know are you familiar with timothy carey do you yes i went to his house (laughs) i knew it (laughs) i knew it yeah i i uh, i went to his house uh in uh the 80s yeah late 80s like is he a role model well he there were two actors when I was, uh, you know, studying acting. Mm-hmm. I could always detect. I could always figure out what the method, for lack of a better word, was that an actor was uh, employing mm-hmm. to get to their state. Yeah. Uh, but there were two actors that I did not feel that way about. Yeah. One of them was Andy Kaufman. Yeah. And the other was was Timothy Carey. Right. And uh, I never I never met Andy Kaufman. But uh, I had the opportunity to go to Timothy Carey's house, and uh, it was a very, it was really, I, I, it was really fascinating. I'm because very well, glad I had that experience. Well, when I when I sort of started, do you know him? No, no, no. Oh, but when okay. I started thinking about you and about you know sort of you know uh, not not a template, but somebody who was within the system and then started to kind of really break away in extreme way, <laughs> I thought about Timothy Carey, who <laughs> who I loved in, in, in some of the earlier movies. I'm yeah. not that familiar with his with his work, you know. Well, uh, have you ever a, seen The World's Greatest Sinner? No. Oh, he directed it. Right. Oh, I, I know, I yeah. saw, oh, you've, you, no, I know you've about seen, the movie, but I've not seen it. it. It's worth seeing. I, I saw it for the first time at his house. He didn't have it out on DVD at the time, and he... Sh- That's I, the one that Zappa did the soundtrack for, correct? I, yes, uh, yeah. that is. I right. believe that's right. Yes, right. yeah. And and uh, and well, what was your experience with Timothy Carey? Well, it was uh, fascinating. Yeah, I. Uh, well, you were going there to figure him out in a way. How yes. did the How did that happen? How did you get the uh, the opportunity to There's go there? There's a, fr- a friend of mine, uh, Adam Parfrey. I know Adam Parfrey. I've interviewed him. Oh, you did. Yeah. Oh, okay, great, great. Um, Adam, Adam uh, makes sense. It, it's all coming together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as Apocalypse <laughs> Culture, the first volume, changed my life. Yeah, and it's a, it seems like a, you're kind of he's uh, a great publisher, symbiotic. Yeah. Uh, in, in he's in my first film. He's uh-huh. in What Is It? And his father was a character he, actor. That's as right. Well. His yeah. something he he and I have in common is when when you're when you growing up in the film industry uh-huh. and having uh, a parent or parents that are his his mother was also in, in the uh, industry she yeah. directed uh, plays in new york but uh if 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 you're as opposed to you know like i said my father wasn't super wealthy or yeah. super famous so if you're if you see the reality of how that 
works, it doesn't give you a uh, glowing view of the industry. Mm-hmm. It's I have always had a very realistic view of the industry. Yeah. And uh, Adam Parfrey, uh, that was something he and I relate to uh, uh-huh. well. So he set you up with Timothy? Well, he, he there was a friend of his that somehow, or somebody he knew, was acquainted uh-huh. with, that was able had had been in contact with timothy yeah. carey and so that was set up so the three of us went to timothy carey's house and we were there for a number of hours and uh and what did you glean <laughs> well um <laughs> i'm trying to think if it's if it's right to say but but um he was <laughs> the first uh hour yeah was spent talking timothy carey talked about um passing gas uh-huh. and and the health of this uh-huh. for an hour Yes. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and at first, of course, it was kind of funny. The yeah. first fifteen or <laughs> twenty minutes, yeah, it was it was funny. <laughs> and then and then it, it was very serious. It, he wasn't doing it as a joke. Uh-huh. And then it wasn't really so funny. <laughs> and then. It was kind of funny again, <laughs> yeah. and then, uh, and then you know we we were there for several hours. We well, watched the film, right? We eventually, probably, t- about two hours into it, we watched. We 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 went and we we had like a guest house, which you know was large. It was larger than this. Mm-hmm. It was his kind of studio, and then. And then we were out there for most of the time. Then we went into his living room, and uh, then he showed us the film, uh, which was excellent. It was, it was, it's a very interesting movie. And then uh, I, I asked him, I, what I noticed about him, I went and saw uh, both East of Eden and uh, the Killing, and the Killing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I saw the Killing a little later, but I Paths saw East of Glory. E- and and Paths mm-hmm. of Glory I saw later. But I noticed when I was watching the film, you know, James Dean is one of those actors that you're studying as a, a young actor in Marlon Brando. But in those scenes, Timothy Carey has fight scenes with both of them yeah. in bars. Uh, but in those scenes, my eye was not on James Dean. My, my, my eye was not on Marlon Brando. It was on Timothy Carey. But the, the, the part that I hesitate to say a little bit, but maybe I'll say it, at one point... You hear a lot of different tales. I don't know if you've heard about a lot of tales about Timothy Carey, but I've heard a lot of tales about him that are fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like he disappeared during the shooting of Paths of Glory in Germany. Mm-hmm. And he, if you look at the film, his character is in shadows at a certain point in the prison, but he wasn't originally supposed to be in shadows. He disappeared uh-huh. uh, during the middle of production. Uh-huh. And then... 
I've heard different tales as to sure. how he was found, but essentially they just had to hide his character and then they put him back in once he showed back up again. Uh-huh. Um, also, I think I think he met his wife in Germany there and Kubrick did as well. Uh-huh. So there's something in common. But uh, he, he kind of pointed at his head at one point and said, uh, I, you know, have... I, I, I almost feel like I'm betraying something private. He said something about his m- mental health. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was fascinating to me because I I realized that part of what was hard for me to detect about him was uh, there was something going on I gleaned or assumed from from talking to him that was essentially undetectable because he was having, um, for lack of a better word, mental health issues. Uh uh And so uh, that's part of why I would say probably it was hard for me to detect what the specific method was. Like Marlon Brando, I can, I mean, he's a a great actor, but I essentially can understand what he's employing to get to, to the state. Or, or, or James yeah, Dean. Right. But like I said, the two that I can't, and I never met Andy Kaufman, so I don't know exactly yeah. where where it was coming from. Uh, and Timothy Carey, even even having had that meeting, of course, I don't know those, the the exact uh, neurons, sure. so no, to no, speak, that it, were, get uh, yeah. were getting to that point. But, but you're it sort was, of one of those guys, too. Well, that's, that. I mean, it might be what people, I, I probably early on, have always been interested in the idea of art and madness for the lack of a better word as being a as being as good for art but um you know people probably question in fact i know people question me as if i'm a sane human being people will often wonder or believe that i am either psychotic or uh have mental uh issues but i don't i mean i i'm a healthy uh human yeah being. I, I feel that i was about to say that you look like you're in good health and yeah. i think that my take on it from talking to you for a while and having my own assumptions but yeah. like i don't judge mental illness too harshly uh yeah. is that uh is that you know you will you will take the risk of 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 letting your mind go and then hopefully catch up with it. Well, <laughs> I I wouldn't I wouldn't quite put it that way. I I uh, I've never my mind has never gone to a point of uh, well in clinical terms psychosis or yeah psychosis close. I, no. Okay. No. Nowhere near close. Okay. I, I'm. I'm. Like I said, I'm a very. An, I've always been a very analytical mm-hmm. uh, person, and I've never. I've never been. I'm lucky in that I've known people that had uh, genuine psychosis. Mm-hmm. I've seen true mental illness, mm-hmm. and it's a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you, like you were saying, I don't judge it. I don't. I feel badly for for sure. if some. I mean, that's something that really ruins people's lives but uh no i i i count myself as lucky in uh, i would in being a a very uh, mentally stable person Mm -hmm. but i understand 
uh, in terms of uh, uh, acting and performance, mm-hmm. it's very important to be able to go into all states of mind. Sure. And I've tended toward having an interest since a young age of uh, that which is uh, uh, unusual. But uh, but I've seen. I, I I think I recognized at a very early age that mental illness or psychoses uh, is on some level a uh, can be a, an artistic realm to go into, kind of relating to what we were talking about having to do with the subconscious. Mm-hmm. Some people might find that unpleasant, but I, I think like looking at uh, certain art from the, the late 1800s and the early 1900s, Painters were going into a psychological area that, you know, at some point it was considered by certain cultural mm-hmm. uh, aesthetics unpleasant. Right. But they were going into something interesting. Sure. And I, I, I think there's all different palettes that can be played with, but it's a palette that I've tended toward liking. Yeah. <laughs> now, okay, the, the live shows with the screenings are, are happening yes. uh, sporadically. And, 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 and also, I mean, I, I've been talking about the, the show at LA in LA. I've been editing on, on the film right now, so yeah. I haven't uh, uh, posted any other shows because I've been thinking about this stuff, but I do, I, I do tour regularly. People can sign up on uh, the newsletter on CrispinGlover.com. I have uh, an official Crispin Hellion Glover Facebook page and then a Crispin Hellion Glover Facebook page, a Crispin Glover Twitter, uh, a Crispin Hellion Glover Instagram. Uh, but the best way to know is by signing up for the newsletter on CrispinGlover.com. Great. And, uh, and then, of course, we should say, because the people that initially got okay, me here yeah. was the Hurra Jackson uh, film, Amy in a Cage, which I'm in right now. Uh, and is available, and uh, I don't know what else to say. I I, I enjoyed this immensely. <laughs> yeah, me too. No, you're a, a really a tremendously talented uh, interviewer <laughs> and a comedian. Thank as well. you so much. Yeah, I I, I really appreciate it. Thank yeah. you, thank yeah. you, Crispin. Yeah, and and you. Louis will be excited because he he likes the. Uh, I was texting with him before you came over. Oh, oh, great. And uh, he he likes the uh, the fact that you uh, you talked them out of having any dialogue for the Charlie's Angels guy. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I mean, I admire what he's doing with uh, his show as well, where mm-hmm. he, I... I Seems uh, to be up your alley. Yeah, well, where he's, uh, you know, that he's doing it like little movies. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, there's the technical aspect as well and that he's using the, the lenses. I, I shot the new film on a on a 35 millimeter negative. Mm-hmm. I can tell that he's, you know, a uh, a genuine cinephile and that he's, he's using... Uh, comedy with the bittersweet quality of uh of you know the dark the dark sure. quality as well which goes into true good art absolutely. and getting into uh, the subconscious psychologies oh, which are yeah. interesting so well, good. and i can tell that you do that i was very impressed also i don't know if this is true or not but do you genuinely do your shows Without do you genuinely improvise your shows? The stand up, yeah. I I generally have things I'm working on. I don't know how they're going right. to go or how they're going to fall. Right, right. But uh, but but I I definitely leave a, ro- a lot of room. Yeah, th- no, I'm impressed by that. Well, uh, thanks, man. And I and I I can and I appreciate that. It's obvious that you are interested in going, bringing in this kind of thing that 
makes people think the energy and lets people think sure which is is that's what's important so. thank you so much it's yeah. nice to hear that well i i appreciate great it great talking to you. you too thank you so that was a ride was it not i believe it was i think i'm gonna i'm gonna spend more time with him we were hanging out after and i you know we were we exchanged numbers and uh I don't know. I, I think it was, uh, you know, it was pretty exciting. It was an exciting conversation, right? Oh, yes, it was. Go to WTFPod.com for all that stuff. Um, I got this new pedal. That's crazy, right? I'm not. I've never been a pedal guy either.